Today, that is especially the case as we welcome back for the second time, Chris Raleigh, founder and CEO of Harvest Returns. They provide investment funding to medium-sized farmers and ranchers. He speaks to us from the headquarters in Fort Worth, Texas. Chris, welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio. Thanks for having me on again, Charlie. Great to be here. Chris, you've got a unique story. Uh, You were a career naval officer. You're currently serving in the reserve as chief of staff for the U.S. Sixth Fleet for the reserve. You were deployed in many war-torn areas throughout the Middle East, Africa, where you recognized the importance of agriculture. And in 2016, you started Harvest Returns. Not long after that, we interviewed you for the first time. So you've got now almost four years under your belt to tell us about. And this is what you call the democratization of investments in agriculture in America. So tell us how you got here, Chris. So it was kind of a long, windy road, Charlie. I've been, a uh, in addition to being in the military, worked in commercial real estate in the tech side, uh, tech companies. And I've always been uh, an avid investor. I've invested in everything from stocks and bonds to subordinated car loans to um, startups, Indian food startups. So I've uh, invested in a lot of different assets. And as you saw in my, my bio, one of the things that really started to interest me was farming and agriculture and how important it was for people everywhere around the world and how it turns out that's not an easy thing to do unless you have some capital, some know-how, some connections. And uh, at the same time, there was online investing platforms springing up. So I decided to put the two ideas together, uh, a platform and online marketplace to help people invest and diversify their portfolios with agriculture. Okay. So, so tell us what Harvest Returns does. Uh, What do you do for whom? So farmers come to us, small to mid-sized farms who come to us, they want to raise anywhere between a half million to a few million dollars. Um, sometimes the projects are significantly larger than that, but we're, we can be a, a part of their capital stack mixed with other sources of equity or debt. And those farmers come to us and they're looking for flexible, creative financing. And at the same time, we have a pool uh, currently of about 7,000 investors. And those investors are looking to allocate some of their portfolios into income producing assets, agriculture. So farms, ranches, agribusinesses, things like that. Okay. So tell us, first of all, U.S. only? We have done a few international deals. Uh, Most of our offerings so far have been uh, in the U.S., although as as you can imagine, there's a, a big wide world out there and we intend to do more overseas offerings as well. Okay, and what's the structure? Is this an ETF? Is is what is it? So we're doing Regulation D offerings. So these are our private placement offerings. Uh, our investors are, are meet the definition of accredited investors, and they they come in just like any other sort of private placement, and they they read the the PPM and they decide that they're going to uh, invest. And so we pull those investments anywhere check sizes, anywhere between $5,000 and a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And we pull those investments into a single LLC. And then we invest in that farmer. Um, and then he's not, he's not having to deal with, you know, 20 or 40 investors. He's only dealing with us as the asset manager. Okay. And, uh, when you do this, do they invest through a single deal or is there a pool here? 
So we're, we're primarily doing direct projects. So the investors can come on and decide, um, you know, at any given time we have two or three different offerings available and, uh, uh and decide how much they want to put into each of those offerings and invest directly into that, that operating business. And so is this, uh, um, did they own part of the business? Is this a loan? What, what, what's the equity situation here? So, yeah, generally we're, are the LLCs that our investors are pulled into invest and take an equity position in these operating agriculture, you know, farming companies. However, we have done some loans. We've, we've had a lot of success with grass-fed, collateralizing grass-fed cattle. So it's, it's a very unique uh, niche sort of area, but uh, it's a it's a premium product, and our investors are able to receive higher levels of returns uh, from that debt instrument. Okay, and and uh, I presume these are typically ranchers and farmers who are experienced. Okay, but, so why are they coming to you at this time if they've been doing this for many years? Right. So so that is generally the case. We like teams that are experienced um, both on the uh, the agriculture, the agronomy side, but also on the finance and business side. And we, we generally, most of the sponsors that do successful raises on our platform have a nice mix of those on their team. And the reason they come to us is, is what they told us is they're looking for flexible sources of equity capital, which is not um, as plentiful as, as one might imagine out there for these size farms and ranches. Um, agriculture as an investment class has only been popular uh, since around the 80s, and that was on the institutional side. So, you know, there's university endowments and pension funds that are heavily invested into farmland. And now you see more and more um, stories of billionaires like Bill Gates is now the largest farmland owner in the U.S. Warren Buffett has a considerable portfolio, Ted Turner. Uh, but for the average retail investor, there hasn't been a lot of um, possibilities to invest up until very recently with, with my platform and some of the others that are coming out there. Okay, and uh, tell us about some of the projects that you've done over the past four years. So, uh, very unique. Uh, we, we've kind of settled on on several verticals. One of which, as I mentioned, was the grass-fed cattle. Um, in fact, we have a company in our portfolio, probably not too far from you guys, up in Southern California, where um, a really innovative farmer or rancher is is doing what's called regenerative grazing, where he's taking you know, some of that. Pretty in, in, in Southern California valleys there, and he's using cattle to improve the soils or retention. So that's that's one we really like out, out in California. We've done uh, quite a number of indoor farms. So these are um, kind of two big basic categories. One is a vertical farm, so urban vertical farms. Most people don't realize that about 70% of the, the leafy green production in the United States is all centralized in uh, Salinas Valley and some other places in California. And that's, um, that's good because there's a very fertile soil there and the weather is just perfect for it. But more and more people want to see where their greens are coming or where their food is coming from and growing locally. So growing indoor farms uh, like greenhouses or hydroponic farms in local areas is, is uh, becoming very popular on the investment side. We, we've got a farm in Omaha, Nebraska, one in Alabama, one in Dallas, uh, vertical farms. And then we've got larger greenhouse projects, one in New Hampshire and one in Kentucky. Okay. And so other than the weather, mm -hmm. okay, what are the, the, the big risks that an investor undertakes 
by investing in one of your projects? So there's that's a that's a good question, and and I'm a big person on managing risk and identifying risk, probably from my military background, but. Um, there's pest and disease, the typical sort of biological uh, risk you would think of with any kind of agriculture, whether you're dealing with livestock or, or, or plants production, but there's also um, commodity risk. So most of the, the projects we do are, are not necessarily commodity uh, traded uh, products. So we're not doing, we're generally not doing wheat or corn or soy or things like that, where they're traded, their commodities, we're doing more premium products, locally grown produce, um, grass-fed cattle where they're not widely traded, so they're not uh, commoditized, which, which minimizes some of that risk. And then there's operational risk um, and development risk. So some of these vertical farms, they are you know, fresh starts. So it's just like any other kind of commercial real estate development. You're dealing with, with municipalities on permitting and um, the weather involved in the construction and, 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 and things like that. So there's some operational risk as well. So, so let's focus a little on the, the, uh, the recipients uh, of the money, the, the farmers and ranchers. At, at record low interest rate, what is their motivation to go to you instead of a bank? So the ag finance system, agriculture is, is, is changing very rapidly. You know, these indoor farms are a new thing. Uh, they didn't exist for the most part 10 years ago in the United States. Uh, Europe kind of had a head start on us. Uh, but indoor farming, the grass-fed farmers, uh, there, there is, whenever thinks about the agriculture finance system in the U.S., you think about USDA subsidized loans, loans, uh, although agriculture is evolving, the ag finance system is pretty, it really hasn't evolved much in 50 years. So if you're doing something new, uh, the bankers don't know how to underwrite it. Farm credit unions, they don't know how to underwrite it. And in addition to, um, bringing in equity, which is, is our primary focus. There's, there is some room in, in the debt, higher yield debt instruments in agriculture that, that just aren't serviced by commercial banking system. So when uh, these farmers and ranchers come to you, I presume they come to you, you don't go to them. Right? Yes, they, they find us. Uh, when I first set up this company, I was, I was a little bit worried because I had the same assumption that, that you put forth is that why would a farmer come to us when they have low interest rates and all this government subsidized uh, financing, but that's not been the case. Um, and as I said, we're not really dealing with commodity crops. So those folks do have a very robust ag system, um, ag finance system behind them, but, but the, the specialty sorts of farming that we deal with uh, is not such a robust ag financing system. So that's where we found our niche. And, and do you guys do significant due diligence? Yes. So we do, you know, like any investment, we expect the investors themselves to kind of do their own due diligence. And they, and as a equity crowdfunding platform, they, they actually help us with that due diligence by asking very smart questions. But we start with um, background checks on the farmers. We do the bad actor checks, all the typical things you would do in a regulation D offering. We dig through their corporate documents. Uh, when at all possible, we go out and we visit the farm if it's an existing farm and, and meet those sponsors. And then we go through a you know, pretty detailed analysis of their pro forma financial projections, just like one would any other sort of up, up and coming uh, investment. Okay. And do you offer one project at a time or two dozen or? At any given time, there's you know, one to three projects on our on our um, 
platform and that velocity is picking up right now. I've got a backlog of offerings that we're working as quickly as we can to get out there and get in front of our investors. Okay. So uh, tell us what, what uh, who invests and why? Are they primarily um, investment advisors for their clients? Are there people who know farming and ranching? Are, are there people who simply want diversification? Uh, are they some large institutions or even small institutions, family offices for diversification? Do they usually know a lot about farming and ranching or are they just looking for a good, a good thing to do? With, with the exception of institutions, all of the above. So we, we do have some family offices on the platform that have invested with us. I've had you know, some conversations with those. Uh, for the most part, I'd say, Charlie, people are looking for diversification. So people are... Uh, you know, alternative assets, as, as you very well know, are, are of interest to people with, with record, stock, record high stock um, prices and the market is, is volatile and people are looking for safe um, diversification for a portion of their portfolios. And that's where we come in to add um, a piece of that. Okay. And uh, when they invest, do they invest for one year and then there's a harvest and then they get paid back or do they do it for a three-year period or what, what's the plan? So our, our durations depend um, on some of the debt instruments we did, we've done the grass-fed cattle. Those are more short-term. We've done everything from six months up to three years and they're getting you know, a nice yield of, of quarterly payments or a, or a balloon payment at the end of the one-year notes. For the equity deals, it's a uh, longer term as one might expect. We shoot for sort of three to five years exits, um, which is actually very short in the agriculture world. Most ag investors, traditional ag investors, will buy a piece of farmland and hold on to it for you know, multiple years and take some small, low yield uh, cash rents, and then hopefully gain some appreciation at the end. And that's a very been a very successful asset class for institutions. But the type of offerings we're doing are, are you know, there's some higher risk on these indoor farms, but there's also the potential for higher returns uh, in a shorter exit, you know, three to five, three to six years exit. Okay. And everybody in Reg D offerings says, says the one particular issue is that they need to raise money, but they have to raise so much. And so what happens if it takes too long to raise this money and they've got people who have invested there who are losing patience, okay? How do you handle that? Do sometimes you have to return the money? Um, the only time we've had to return money was when an offering wasn't successful. So one of the nice things about our platform is as we've grown our investor audience the hard way organically, uh, you know, I didn't go out and buy a, an email list of accredited investors. Everybody's come to us. You know, they see our marketing, they see podcasts like this. Um, so they sort of self-selected as an interest in agriculture and We've been able to do raises. Um, we generally try to keep our raises less than 30 days. And what I found is that, you know, it's like a real estate listing. If you, if you go much beyond that, the, the listing gets a little bit stale and people start to wonder why no one else is investing. But we've kind of got a nice, a nice momentum down with these 30 day raises. Although in some cases we've done, you know, as short as 48 hours where we raised, you know, six, $700,000 uh, very quickly because it was a uh, a deal to appeal to people. And so as we build our platform, uh, build our investor base and, and kind of our track record, I think it, it, we're, that's not really a problem for us. 
has ESG been a significant benefit and boost for you now that it's so much more popular than a year ago? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's you've heard the term greenwashing, and there's, yeah, there's certainly right. a lot of a lot of that out there in the industry now, and everybody wants to throw ESG in front of their name or sustainability, and 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 we understand that, and you know, there's certainly a. a a, a huge aspect of what we're doing in agriculture with that is the environmental, for the most part, most of these projects we're doing are very environmentally sound. I talked about the regenerative agriculture, which is actually net carbon uh, negative, where you know, these, these cows are out there in the way these grazing practices are happening or are putting carbon back into the soil. So, that, so from that aspect, then, you know, reducing the miles of food that it takes instead of transporting food from Salinas Valley, California to the East Coast, now you're transporting it from the East Coast to the East Coast, you know, tens of miles instead of thousands of miles because it's grown locally. So the environmental side, and then just on a social, you know, we're making jobs, we're producing jobs. It's, it's very rewarding to see uh, farmers uh, get funded and then hire other new people to grow. Um, in some cases, disadvantaged communities uh, where uh, opportunity zones, things like that, where people are able to start up these new farms or expand their existing farm and bring on new jobs. And to me, that's the, you know, the best ESG you can do is giving somebody a job. Yeah, no question about it. So what misperceptions do you often have to overcome with investors or their advisors, that kind of thing? What, what, what do you understand that they don't seem to be grasping, at least at the beginning? Yeah, so one is, is that we're doing uh, you know, a, a niche sort of product. These, these offerings you're not gonna find probably anywhere else unless you go out and structure a private placement yourself around an indoor farm offering or unless you're an institution and they're doing it at a larger larger scale. And most people think of agriculture, they think of driving through acres and acres of cornfields or, or wheat fields or cotton or whatever and those commodity-based crops, but everything we're doing is more specialty type of focused. Okay, so so they don't have uh, major issues with being in agriculture or the weather or the futures markets. <laughs> well, that, sure, all of that. You know, it's it's definitely an educational hump for a lot of people, and 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 we have a lot of educational material on our website, and and we like love to talk about how agriculture is changing, and and kind of break through those misconceptions. But yeah, all of the above, you you see people that are afraid of the risk or afraid of the weather or, you know, don't understand the risk uh, involved with agriculture and, and dispelling those risks and educating is, is an important part of that. Yeah, I bet. You know, uh, I went to college in uh, Utah, Brigham Young University, and there were a lot of farm boys there. I mean, not a lot. You went to Texas A&M, so right. it had to be, yeah. you know, same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so ever since moving back to California, I don't meet farm people. But one thing I noticed is I would talk to the, these guys, they're all guys that I'm talking about. Uh, they would say, you know what I want to do? I want to be a engineer, school teacher, whatever it is, and then have a few acres on the side and work on those acres. And I would think and say, that is the last thing I would ever want in my life to have 25 acres out there that I've got to worry about and either hire people or work myself to death. But there's something about working on the land that people who have done it, which I've never done it, okay, people who have done it, they seem to be tied to it. And they don't necessarily want to be the president of some big corporation to bring in all the grain in the world, 
but they like the idea of working on the land. Do you sometimes get people who like that kind of thing? And so they, they, they feel this kinship to agriculture investing? Yeah, for sure. One of our sponsors, uh, he's got a vertical farm in Alabama that's about to open. And he grew up, I think he's a fourth generation farmer. And his his family family farm was you know typical, what you might expect growing out in the field farming. He wanted to carry on that tradition, but instead of working out on the land and driving the tractor, he's going to work in a vertical farm with hydroponic systems and, and sell there locally. So it's it's a completely different model, but it's still you know, growing things, working with your hands, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so so I would think that that would have a certain appeal to to to, to some of those people there. Well, I, we could talk about this all day. Unfortunately, we need to move on here. Let me ask you a question we like to ask these days. What's the best advice about investing that you've ever received or heard? So, yeah, I don't believe in a lot of things that John Maynard Keene says, but one of his uh, axioms was uh, the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. I think the paraphrase. Yeah. <laughs> uh, learned a lot of lessons from that and, you know, in speculating in various types of, of uh, investments over the past several years. Uh, we can all relate to that. No question about it here. And, and you know, over the past few years, everybody's bad mouth, the bull market and it just kept going up here. Okay, so what book on investing could you recommend for our investors, our so, listeners? Yeah, so you know we work with people that are, are raising money, raising capital, and uh, one of the books that kind of helped me understand that mindset is called Capital Attraction: Small Balance Real Estate Entrepreneur Matthew Burke. You know a lot of the things. Oh yeah, uh, a lot of the raising capital. There's a lot of truisms that remain constant, even though we've got new methods to do it, like crowdfunding. Yeah, Matthew Burke, uh, we've interviewed him several times on our show. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, he's got a very interesting model. And uh, last we checked, was, was doing very well here. And final question here. If you were not doing this, Chris, what would you probably be doing? I, I think I would be doing some sort of investing um, somewhere. You know, angel investing, I've done real estate investing. So I'd probably still be in that because I just like the mechanics of it. Okay, very interesting. And 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 did it take a while to get to, to feel really comfortable with the acumen required to do agriculture investing? Because you know you don't have many models to follow here. That's for sure. Yeah, we were definitely pioneers in this field on retail ag investing, and you know we like a lot of pioneers. We got some arrows in the back to show show for it. Uh, so we're we're learning and improving all the time. Okay, well that's great. Well, Chris, for those who would like to know more, where can they go? What can they do? So website, harvestreturns.com. We're also on social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those platforms. Okay. And uh, final words for our listeners here, Chris. Uh, just uh, if you've never invested in agriculture, I'd uh, love you to visit our website at Harvest Returns and, and learn something about it and decide if that might be right for your portfolio. Okay. Very good. Hey, and thank you again for your 38 years of service, right? 28, almost. 28, 28. Well, you were 12 when you started. (laughs) Okay, and thank you very much for that, and best of luck in uh, taking care of things. And uh, hope that you and China continue to get along to some degree here. Uh, All right. No question about that. So, again, appreciate you coming on today. Again, we've been talking with Chris Raleigh, founder and CEO of Harvest Returns. Uh, talking to us from Fort Worth, Texas.
You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. I'm Charlie Wright. We'd love to hear from you. Info at strategicinvestorradio.com will get us the message. And you can visit our website to listen to all of our podcasts and interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. And we're wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing.